For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. In this episode, we get a chance to sit down with Spence Checkets. Spence is not only a basketball junkie, being well ingratiated, ingrained to the NBA from a very young age with uh, spending time back in New York, getting to see the inside tracks with the New York Knicks and moving out to Utah and uh, becoming a jazz fan, seeing the jazz in the glory years uh, with Stockton and Malone. And uh, just as a superior knowledge of NBA basketball, basketball at all levels, and uh, as the host of The Drive on ESPN 700, which is the home of the Utes, University of Utah football and basketball, Spence is a, is a radio professional and has very well-informed opinions, and especially when it comes to the Utah Jazz. So we got a chance to talk with Spence about Rudy Gobert, about the Jazz, the realistic position small market teams are in in the NBA, what they're up against, and what the Jazz are looking at, uh, not only this year, but going forward to trying to get to that level to compete for a championship, that uh, elusive chip that's so hard to get. So I know you'll enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening to Voices Behind the Game. Subscribe. Let us know how we're doing, uh, what other guests we can get, and enjoy this episode with Mr. Spence Checkets. Does COVID have you down? Are you aching to get out there and lay down some bets? I got the solution for you. No, it's not a vaccine although one will be coming soon, it's betonline.ag. Just because you can't get to an NFL game or you may not be one of the lucky 1,500 to go to an NBA basketball game as the season starts up, it doesn't mean you can't go to betonline.ag and lay down some bets, future bets. Who's going to win the NBA championship? We're talking NBA basketball in this episode of Voices Behind the Game. What other bets can you lay down? What other prop bets can you lay down? Well, go to betonline.ag and you can find out. So don't sulk about what's going on right now. Yeah, the world's all weird and whatnot, but it's always going to be that way. But you can have some fun. Go to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Go there, sign up today, lay down some bets, have some fun. Thanks for listening. So let's let's dive in and, and just go right for the Jazz. And the training camp starts today. You know the uh, the shortened off season having to start right away. But the, let's talk Jazz. Elephant in the room. Talk Rudy Gobert. And I have a few different things I want to go over with you on it. But first, with you know your connections and just kind of things that you're hearing on the street. Have you heard anything about the negotiations and which way they're going? Or do you have a feel for that at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's obvious interest from the Jazz, right, of bringing right. him back. We just we, I think Jazz fans sometimes get a little spoiled because of what we have with John and Carl, 
and how, you know, we found them and they stayed with us for basically 20 years outside of Carl going ring chasing, which is something we don't talk about anyway. But <laughs> um, it's 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 hard for us to find good players that want to play here and that want to stay here. And, you know, when I say that out loud, I know jazz fans cringe. But historically speaking, that's the only context we have to work off of. People think Salt Lake City is a little bit weird. People think Utah is a little bit odd. Um, and you know what? It is. But I enjoy the oddities and I enjoy the uniqueness. It's a good place for me to live, but I'm not a 25-year-old millionaire you know, that can choose to go wherever I want to go. So the fact that the Jazz found a really good player is a testament to what Dennis Lindsay is able to do as a ta- talent evaluator. But you can't let him walk, but you also can't allocate 30% of your salary cap to a non-offensive bid. You know, right. and that's right. that's my that's my opinion. So my understanding to answer your question about the, the negotiations is Rudy walked in and said, I have earned the Supermax, which he has. Rudy has earned the right to say that out loud. And the Jazz are well within their rights to say, great, but we can't pay you that. So what what's the middle ground? That's the conversation. And is is, is the middle ground the Jazz are willing to to explore more valuable uh, for Rudy than the ability to decide where he wants to play and live and and make a good amount of money next. I don't know uh, ultimately what motivates Rudy outside of what he's told us. And what he's told us is what motivates him is winning. Okay. So if that's the case, he has a really good chance to win here for a long time because Donovan's just special and Quinn is elite. Um, but if, if he's motivated by something other than that, his decision will tell us. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Sure. Yes. Well, and, and totally. I think that's a valid point because if you look at what he's talked about throughout his career here, you know, that the other things have mattered. They ha- he hasn't amplified them, but I think he's showed it as far as making the all-star team being all defensive. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with that as an NBA player. I think those are, as long as it's within a quote unquote team concept, it's okay to go for those things. But I think, with Rudy, he has shown without broadcasting it that other things do matter to him because of the chip on his shoulder. And that's just kind of what I've inferred. So that could potentially get in the way a little bit as far as this negotiation goes and his perceived value for him versus what he could get somewhere else. Well, and, and here's the other thing to keep in mind. I mean, I think the Jazz are a good team, but I don't think they're a championship contending team. I, you know, I, I think there are other additions that need to take place with this roster before I can say, yeah, you do throw punches with the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks, you know, the new, the, and some of the new look stuff that's gone on too. Like Portland's going to be really dangerous. Yeah. Dallas might have the second best player in the league and he's 21, you know, right. Like, right. <laughs> we, 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 and we don't know what Houston will look like. And by the way, yeah, I, I know there was no boy on and I know it's the bubble and all that, but Denver just beat you. And I actually thought it was somewhat miraculous that the Jazz were able to extend it to seven games. So, hmm. um, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get into some of the moves that have been made. But, you know, to, to, to kind of wrap up my thoughts on the Rudy situation, it, I mean, if Rudy truly only wants to win championships, there are other places he could go that he would have a better chance of doing that. Now, uh, the, the balance is, and the league did this on purpose, you know, your ability when you have a player's bird rights, your ability to give him incremental raises that are much more economically substantial to the individual than it would be if you were to change teams. But I think one thing a lot of fans you know, don't necessarily realize right now is that the money has gotten so stupid mm-hmm. that these players go, well, sweet, I already have like 
$300 million in the bank. I'll right. sacrifice an extra 20 or 30 if it means I can live where I want, play with who I want to play with, play for who I want to play for, and have a better chance of winning. So th- there, there's certainly a chance that this relationship ends in divorce for sure. I would hope that that's not the case because I know Quinn loves him and Rudy seems to like it here, but it's not a guarantee at all that Rudy stays long-term. It's the new normal in the NBA where every offseason, great players leave, leave teams, and we're no exception here in Utah. I get that. Now, the one thing I did, and this is just extremely inside my adult brain and personal, but when Rudy starts talking about how good he is, and yeah, defensive prowess, blah, 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 and then good job from two feet away from the rim, but tell me how good he is compared to Anthony Davis. And so, as a consequence, I wondered about his still improving, getting a little bit more offensive. Is that possible, or do we just see a tall guy blocking shots, getting rebound? I mean, I know it all helps. I'm not stupid, but at the same time, Anthony Davis-type players, I mean, he's 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 got all that I would ever, ever ask for out of a tall guy. So, I'm just... So, yeah, and, and it, it's very fair. Rudy is not in the same stratosphere as Anthony Davis because I don't know how many players are, to be honest with you. Um, Rudy's not a top five, top ten type guy. Now, when you look at his effect on the team from an analytical standpoint, Rudy's probably a top 15, top 20 player. And I would rank him higher on the list than I would Donovan right now. We, but we don't know what Donovan's going to turn into. He keeps getting better. And it's been really fun to watch, but also a little bit surprising. So let's hope that evolution continues. Rudy is done evolving. He is who he is, okay? And and every time the Jazz PR staff decide to send out a video of Rudy shooting 20-foot jump shots at an empty gym and go, hey, stretch five, I'm like, stop right. doing that, please. Yes. There's no reason for that. That's you know? precisely so, my point, right there but, on the but, notice. But, but Dan, what we will do is we will give Rudy credit for doing this. He learned to become an elite screen setter. He's a, he's an elite rim roller and the ability to roll to the rim the way he does with playmakers around him allows for spacing for, for shooters to be able to shoot. So in, in a different way, Rudy is uh, in, in kind of a cerebral type way. Rudy's gravity effect is a lot like Steph Curry's in a much different way. Steph's gravity effect is if he comes across half court, you better come out and guard him because he can shoot it from 30 feet. Rudy's gravity effect is when he rolls to the rim as the center, you better roll with him or else he's going to dunk it on your head. But if the center get, gets caught in the screen, then the wings, the defensive wings on either side have to hedge. And they, they you know, the, the decision they have to make is whether whether or not they're going to collapse in and defend on Rudy or stick with the shooters in the corner. Oftentimes, the natural ability or the natural reaction as a basketball player is to dive to the rim to protect the rim and, and try to either block Rudy's shot or foul him or, or stop him from getting to dunk. But what Rudy has been able to do is to understand that when he does roll and get the ball, more often than not, if there's someone in his way, he does make the correct pass, which leads to a boy on three or an Ingles three. So he has value on offense. He does. Okay. And that's where you see the offensive rating and the offensive win shares. And Rudy ranks high, you know, with those categories. And that's something that we should give him credit for. But is he ever going to be able to develop a 20-footer? No. But he's an improved free-throw shooter. He's improved on catch and dribble handoffs. And he actually is a better passer than I ever thought he could be. But ultimately, 
He is a dominant defensive player and has some real solid offensive tendencies, but he's not a max guy. He's not Anthony Davis. He's not close. So what does the number look like? Like, I think the league failed when they made defensive player of the year uh, a qualification for the Supermax. Because Mm -hmm. when you look at the defensive player of the year, historically speaking, like, you remember Ben Wallace. I was just going to say Ben Wallace. Yeah, I mean. And and Ben Wallace was a great defensive player, but you think he was a max guy? Not even close. No. And and here we are with Rudy. So the fact of the matter is there is a number that's a middle ground. Is Rudy, uh, you know, willing to come the Jazz direction? And are the Jazz willing to acquiesce to some of his demands? That's the game, and that's the question. Do you, do you know, Spence, Do uh, when, when contracts are incentive-laden, do those incentives count towards the salary cap in a different way, or are they 100% towards the salary cap if no, that it, player it's gets all it? the same. It's all the same. It, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, all the, it's all the same. I, I mean, you can get a little creative, but whatever you know, you, you, whatever you report as the player's salary um, to the league is is, um, is is it goes towards the salary cap, it goes towards luxury tax, and it can be a little bit punitive. What you can get creative is like, um, for instance, like Kyle Whittingham. Uh, I know he's not an NBA player, breaking news, <laughs> but um, you know. So one of the things that the U, that that Utah is able to do, so it doesn't. Uh, piss off people that don't believe football coaches should be the highest paid public employee in your state is hide some of the money in like a radio deal. So, you know, sure. we do the Kyle Whittingham coaches show once a week on our radio station. And, uh, you know, Coach Witt, when it comes to that or any of his media obligations, I don't know what the number is, but it's something ridiculous. It's like four or $500,000. And that's not real, but it's just something they say. So they can, you know, not announce another five hundred grand on Coach Witt's salary because he's already getting paid uh, in, in a really crazy way. So what you can do is say like, um, and, and this is a conversation that happens between the board of governors and the players' union, right? So it's right. like how mu- how much can we hide behind quote NBA cares? I mean, NBA cares was created with a very pure altruistic message for sure, but at the same time, it's like part of your player contract is you have to do, I don't know, five to 10 community appearances a year. And the reason it's in there is so behind the NBA cares umbrella, a stipulation in the player's contract can be. And if you meet all five or 10 of these community obligations, you get an extra million bucks or whatever it is. And it's not like real, but it's a way you can uh, massage the whole thing a little bit differently. (laughs) But ultimately your question is, or the answer to your question is, it's it, it all goes goes towards the cap and the luxury tax and all that stuff. So uh, along those lines, I was listening um, to your interview with Tony Jones. It was really good. Uh, love uh, love the stuff that you do, Spence. By the way, and thank you. The way that. yeah, the thank way you, you do interviews is just it's uh, it, it's a pleasure to listen to, and that's a, another conversation about where radio is gone and going, and you keep it really online. I appreciate that. And in in speaking with Tony, is very well connected obviously he you started getting into conversations about the jazz's roster uh you know draft pick and we'll talk about doke and all the quote unquote controversy around that which i i I think is pretty silly i get analyzing draft picks that way but you know when you're drafting where the jazz drafted and they have their reasons and we'll we'll talk about that but i want to with your unique insight talk about the difference between when you have people on the roster like the Jazz have had and all of the moves that they've made, 
the difference of looking at somebody as a development prospect that they see down the road and someone that's an asset to use potentially in the situation where they've been, where they've just dumped players in contracts to create space so they're not getting close to the hard cap and in the luxury tax. Can you kind of differentiate and talk about how NBA teams look at those two situations? The, the two situations between drafting a guy that's going to play immediately and drafting a guy and kind of stashing him and Correct. see who he turns into. And, okay. and then also in two-way contracts and in that in sometimes signing players that it's not just signing them because they have talent. There might be a reason to sign them down the road to offload money or to get under a tax. I mean, there's so many different business reasons that NBA teams look at players that, it, you know, <clears throat> the, the common fan doesn't really get. And I think that's kind of hard to understand, frankly. Well, ultimately, I think the best way to approach this is to use the Jazz as an example because it is unique. Um, the, the the way Dennis and and Jay-Z have to approach roster building is just a little bit different because the economics are different. That's just part of living in a smaller city. Sure. And fans can get mad or whatever, but we all, um, you know, if you're in the business, we all have to face realities of just the market size that we exist in. And that's true for me. It's true for anyone in media it's true for anyone who works in sports where media market size matters so um what dennis has really been able to do and deserves a lot of credit for during his i don't know 10 years now or so i think it's been He's about pretty a decade close to that. wow yeah so and and walt perrin deserves a lot of credit for this uh, as well and walt obviously is now with the knicks but when you're able to find an undrafted player who is actually able to give your head coach quality minutes and you're paying said player the minimum salary it is like it's like the same thing as signing a massive free agent for a general manager that's a huge win so royce o'neill for three years gave the jazz great minutes and he was making i don't know seven hundred or eight hundred thousand dollars right that is a huge huge win because what that allows you to do and we'll use an nfl parallel here really quick so what the seattle seahawks were able to do during Russell Wilson's rookie year, when they actually won a Super Bowl, is they spent all of their money on Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch and a great defense and a good offensive line and a solid running back because they didn't have to pay Russell Wilson market value yet because he was on a rookie deal. So by paying Royce O'Neill seven eight hundred thousand dollars, it allowed them to go out and by the and Royce has earned the extension which he signed and now Royce is getting paid, but. While Royce was giving them great minutes at a minimum salary, it allowed them to go out and spend money on a Boyan Bogdanovich. It allowed them to extend Rudy the first time. It allowed them to pay Joe Ingles, you know, and we can debate the merit of that contract if you'd like. But, you know, so 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 when you're approaching, you know, the, the, the scenario of trying to analyze some of these young kids, A, it depends on where they're drafted. I mean, where the Jazz were drafting this year, late 20s, 32nd round. I mean, it's like a 50-50 proposition that these guys are ever going to even play in the NBA. Let alone, um, let alone yeah, let alone be successful. I mean, it's just yeah, even let alone, get into let the alone NBA. Give you, give you quality minutes. So ultimately, you know, and I, I try to tell fans this all the time, what you have to look at it is, is, is simply Quinn Snyder has 48 minutes where he has to put the highest of quality basketball on the floor for all 48 minutes. And so it's like a puzzle, okay? So you're putting all these pieces together, and if you find a piece that fits for minimum salary like Royce O'Neal, it allows you so many avenues to go spend money on better players. 
um, and, 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 and Dennis is elite at that. And the way the Jazz have their hierarchy set up is, 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 is truly the, the best way to do it. And you guys know I'm a cynic by nature, so I wouldn't just say this. And, you know, I don't, I don't work for the team anymore anyway. And so right. uh, if, if it was a scenario where I and, – and when, they, when, when I believe they do falter, I do criticize them. And then I hear from them and they get mad at me and we talk about <laughs> it. And we, you know, we come to a spot where we respectfully – uh, either agree to disagree or they see where I'm coming from or I see where they come, they're coming from or whatever. But ultimately, 48 minutes of basketball, highest quality product possible. And if you can find a diamond in the rough here or there, like Dennis has been able to do, then you're also able to expedite the 48-minute you know, necessity of putting the highest of quality on the floor by spending your money elsewhere. So if 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 uh you know if as a bouquet uh is able to give you even five to eight and we you know the jazz may not even need him this year after re-signing Derek favors but if he can give you five to eight minutes his rookie year and it's not as bad as tony bradley was a year ago then that's a win you know and absolutely I actually like i like elijah i do I, I i don't know what he can be but uh he's a syracuse kid so you know he learned from a great college coach and if you watch some tape on him, I, th- I think he has a chance to to play in this league. So if a year down the road, Elijah is able to be the new Royce O'Neal and Dennis has found another guy that can give you a 15, 18 minutes while paying him a, you know, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. It's a huge win. And it's it's what GMs try to find all the time. And oftentimes it's difficult to even figure out if there's a lane but dennis seems to be able to find that more often than not so i don't know if that answers your question it, it, yeah it does and and i think you know what i've seen is he recognizes he and and uh and justin zanuck recognize how important it is to build the back end of the roster and i, I in you know and this is just from me watching the nba for so long it, it's just i don't think and maybe it's gotten different, um, but th- that focus on the back end of the roster, and I realize that you win championships with the front end of the roster. I mean, that's that that'll that'll never change as far as small market teams and viability in giving your. It's almost like you're you're looking at all those minute details. So when you have that extremely small window as a small market team to jump in and actually become a contender, those are the things that allow you to make the moves to get there. That's the way I view it, and I. I think that that's what Dustin or uh, Dennis and Justin, uh, uh, they, what they do a marvelous job of. And I, I don't think it gets enough credit because it's, you're always, people, fans are always looking just at what is right in front of them, the easiest things to look at. Who have they signed? Who didn't they sign? What big free agents went somewhere else? And it's so difficult to run a small market team and make it competitive year over year. Uh, you, you went into great detail about why the why they do what they do. So yeah, you did answer that question. I appreciate it. All right, <laughs> we covered. Sorry, that, Dad, you had, you had that look. What? I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by the you two. I'm too old to be around here. I'm feeling just a little bit out of touch here. <laughs> No, I'm we still, need the wisdom. We need the knowledge. We need the knowledge. Yes, we need the knowledge. Now, listen, I'm still I'm still dwelling on Rudy. I want Rudy to be better scoring. Damn it! I don't know how else to well, you, uh, come up with that. I don't. And I don't. You you succinctly put him in his spot, Spence. And as a consequence, I just wish that he would take an opportunity to 
get a little bit more active scoring-wise and develop a shot that is not two feet away. And so as a consequence, that to me would increase his value and justify his demands, in my opinion. So there you go. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just not happening. Dan, I'm yeah, sorry. I know I mean, you said that. You said that. And I, I'm, I've been digesting that sentence for the last 10 minutes while my But he, str- he struggles even that close because he just uh, it's – when I look at him, you know, it, 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 the way that he gathers when he's close to the basket, it's just, it's not a f- anything that's fluid. It's not anything he's confident with. And you just, you, he, that's never going to change. You know, you can improve. No, but but, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's awesome. Exactly. As, as, yes. As who he is. He's, he's awesome. He doesn't so, need to change that. So, so, oh, so, what that. This conver- so what this conversation is, is the, is the Utah equivalent of what people were saying about Kevin Durant during the draft process, people said Kevin Durant is skinny and needs to gain weight. And I'm like, why? What are you talking about? Have you watched this dude play? God. And they're like, oh, he only benched 135 of the combine. I'm like, oh, sweet. All so right. did Kevin Durant. I'll just go ahead and drop him in a gym and watch him get 40 while you're taking, you know, protein and lifting weights, you moron. Like, <laughs> what, why, what, what, what does Kevin Durant need to change? And so for me, Dan, no, I mean, with all due respect, like whenever I hear someone say Rudy needs to develop a jumper, I'm like, well, A, sure, that would be nice, but he is who he is, and he's really good. He's just not a max player, and he never will be. So I pulled up a list of – so we were, we were talking about how the league really blew it with Defensive Player of the Year, Qualified a Player for a Supermax. So I'm just going to read a few names, okay? Sidney okay. Moncrief. Mark Eaton, who we know very well, and I love Mark. Was Mark ever a match player? No. no. Was Mark awesome? Yes. Okay, but um, Mark could score Mike, from 10, 10, 10 feet too, as every now and then. So he had he had a little hook shot, but Mark was not a match player. I think he would tell you that himself. Michael Cooper. Okay, um, we move on. We go to Ben Wallace, Ron Artest, Marcus Camby, Tyson Chandler, Joachim Noah. I mean, these guys are not max players. Now, there are exceptions. There are the Giannis's of the world, you know, and you go back and you look at uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson one-on-one, so did Michael Jordan. So it happens from time to time. But the league really misstepped by allowing this to be a qualification for the Supermax because historically speaking, you know, max-level players don't win this award for the most part. But, again, I mean – we can talk about what we wish Rudy was until we're blue in the face. He is who he is. Yes. And he is not changing. And he's really good. So we should say that out loud. That's okay. He's elite no, at what he does. He's absolutely elite. And there's no question of that. I just would like him. I guess it's an attitude relative to being worthy of the max he thinks he's worth. Well, sure. That's his job, though, is to think that he's worthy of the max. I mean, you know, by definition, he is, but by that, reality, he that isn't. is not a majority opinion, apparently. So, no, I'm talking about by definition. It's what Spence is talking about. No, by I get, definition, I, I get that. The, I get that. Yeah, I'm still going. The fact that Rudy is of where Rudy is, and so it, mentally, that's where he thinks he should be, and then he'll sure. always be there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, if Dan, if you had a contract, if you had a clause in your contract that said. If you say, bring him on, how about that jazz three times on Tuesday night, you're allowed to ask for a $200,000 raise. On Tuesday night, you're saying, bring him on, how about that jazz three times, and then you're walking in 
to your boss's office and say, I want my $200,000. <laughs> Rudy's doing the same thing. I get that. His employer, I get that. His, his employer said, if you win Defensive Player of the Year, you're eligible for this. So he won Defensive Player of the Year. Now he walks in and says, what's up? Right? And, and, that, and that's where we're at. I get that. I get that. Yeah, so where it goes. So to take that, we'll get past Rudy. When you talk about the Jazz. I'm sorry not- to be... You don't dwelling on Rudy, it, damn. It's okay. Yeah, no, no. Everybody's dwelling on Rudy, and and they. I understand. Yeah, and and the thing is, is it is a huge thing, and it's it's very huge. So the opinion. next question then is the Jazz. Yes, absolutely. The Jazz are not at, at, at championship level, with or without Rudy. What? So what do the Jazz need to get there? Like it, in a perfect world, is that even possible with their roster? Or are we talking? Down the road, you know, and because they're going to surround Donovan as the core, he has a chance to be really special. He showed that in the bubble. You know, he he he's a really unique player. What do the Jazz need, Spence, to get to the championship level? What does that look like? Well, number one, as long as LeBron is playing at this level, it's going to be the Lakers and everybody else, and it also helps that the Lakers can snap their fingers and all these great veterans like a Wes Matthews or a Dennis Schroeder or a Marcus all wants to play for Los Angeles. As long as that's in play, it's going to be the Lakers against everybody else. But whenever this comes up, I always use a Jeff Van Gundy ism. So whenever Jeff comes on the show and we break down the jazz roster and where they fit for years and years and years, and I never fully grasped it until recently, but for years and years, Jeff would say, you know, I think, what they've been able to do is put themselves within a sprained ankle away from doing something special. So what, what that's Jeff Van Gundy speak for. You can do all you can mm-hmm. uh, in Salt Lake city and you still need something to happen to the other team's best player. And then you might win a championship. So we can use John and Carl as an example. Uh, in 98, yeah, the second NBA Finals they went to, the Jazz were the best team in the NBA that year, in my opinion. Yes. That was the best team that I've ever seen play here. Yes, absolutely. And I, I just, un- I just, unfortunately, being a child of both the Jazz and the Knicks, I watched Michael Jordan rip rings off of people's fingers for years, okay? Right. So if Michael Jordan sprains his, sprains his ankle in 1998, the Jazz have a ring, okay? And that's what Jeff is saying. You have to do all you can and then hope you get some help. But when it comes to the roster construction, and, and one more thing on this. So what a lot of people, you know, maybe fail to understand is that if Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson stay healthy year, you know, a year ago, Toronto doesn't sniff the championship. They beat the Warriors because the Warriors were compromised, not because they were awesome. Right. I mean, in Toronto, Toronto was good. Don't get me wrong. That was a no. good team. But Golden, Golden State beats them in five games if Durant and Clay Thompson are playing. Easy. Okay. Easily. And, and, and so the Jazz need to find a way to do everything they can do to make sure they're maximizing their potential and still get help. So um, when it comes to the roster construction, what I saw in Miami last year when they acquired Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder, mm-hmm. just it made me go, this league is all about wings. So they already had Duncan Robinson. They already had Tyler Hero. Um, you know, they obviously Jimmy Butler. And if you can get Jimmy Butler, you know, your whole thing changes. But um, the Jazz need more wing help. I like Royce O'Neal. I don't want him starting for me. I like Joe Ingles. I don't want him starting for me. Royce and Joe on a great team are probably guys 8, 9, 10 or whatever. And George Niang is barely even on the bench. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's, we need to find a way to scoot all of these players who are good players, 
but we need to scoot them down a seat or two. So what the Jazz did is they brought back favors, which helps them in a fight against a physical Laker team and helps them um, survive the non-Rudy minutes, okay? Uh, they bring back Jordan Clarkson, which I think was a mandate. But when I saw that Jay Crowder signed in Phoenix for basically what the Jazz gave Derek Favors, mm-hmm. I said to myself, that's that's the wrong move, okay? so I And look, I don't know if Jay wanted to come back here. I can tell you that Quinn loved him, and I can tell you that um, the Jazz had interest in Jay way back when he was playing with Boston, and Hayward pulled his stunt a few years back. They yep. wanted to execute a sign-and-trade that would have landed them Jay. And, you know, a guy like Jay Crowder, a veteran wing who can make plays, he shoots it pretty well, not great, but he's acceptable, and a really good, gritty, defensive uh, player on the perimeter. I mean, we need to stop talking about Royce O'Neal like he's Bruce Bowen because Jamal Murray just set history on his head. Yes. So mm-hmm. they 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 need to find defensive help on the wing. And so I, I, I as much as I love favors, and who doesn't love favors? He's the best. I didn't love the signing. I don't hate it. I like it. It's all right. I mean, to me, what the Jazz did is ensured that they're going to win. Um, you know, I would typically say 50 games, but with a prorated schedule, I would say the Jazz are probably going to win 40, 41 games, and they're probably going to go to the playoffs and maybe win one round. But that's their ceiling with yeah. this roster. Yeah. And that's it. So if they want to move past that, it's additional wing help. And then, as the great Jeff Van Gundy said, they need a great player to sprain their ankle in a playoff series <laughs> to advance, whether it's Damian Lillard or James Harden or Jamal Murray or Kawhi or LeBron or whatever. I mean, it's just the reality of trying to build a team in a market this size. And I know folks don't love to hear the truth, but, you know, that's that's uh, that's where we're at. It's been that way for 41 years for me. Yep. I watched yep. that mm-hmm. uh, from the get-go. And the interesting thing that you're talking about, is only one player for us plus a sprained ankle? What if we had two players for us and no sprained ankle? I'm mean, I'm just throwing that out just because I I Mr. are you ben, talking about on on the Jazz or yeah, on the no, other I team? I want two players on the two player two good players on the Jazz and then outdo the or you know go by the sprained ankle. You know what I'm saying? Because that's a that's sure. a that's a hell of an analogy. That's great. I get that picture perfectly, and he describes it with ease. But I'm just wondering, Spence, do you think there's possibly two players we could get or do we just need one as you're saying in a sprained ankle two players two good like, players they, two good players two two, two player two addition players. of two players and somebody to sprain their ankle on another team so do the jazz need two players plus what van gundy is saying so i i know i i think i think one more wing addition would put the jazz right there now to remove the sprained ankle equation uh, what you have to do is try to, you know, compare what the Jazz have to the other teams that we feel are contenders. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned I, I mentioned the Lakers. It's just and, and, and I also can tell you this. I mean, I, I do know that the Jazz feel really good and felt really good about their chances against every team in the West, except for the Lakers because of their size. Now, um, last year, I, so I picked the Clippers to win the championship. Um, and I completely, I need to stop, uh, I need to start accurately, um, analyzing Paul George. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've liked him. I really liked him just way too much for way too long. He, for whatever reason, he just does not show up in the playoffs. And you know what? That's not all that uncommon in the NBA. It's why the, the term he's a gamer exists, you know, like sure. a guy, a guy shows up when all the chips are on the table and pa- Paul George just doesn't. But when I when I started watching the league last year, 
and really started honing in on the Lakers, I realized like I I realized I was wrong pretty quickly because the the LeBron AD pick and roll is unstoppable. Yes. I mean, it, if if there was a way to run it every set. I, I honestly think their success rate would be like 80, 85% either a bucket or a foul. So I wanted to go see them live to see if my eyes were deceiving me because Dan, as you know, better than almost anyone, when you are up close, it's a different ball game when you can analyze what's going on 10 feet in front of you. You know what I mean? Precisely. So I went down to Vivint Smart Home January of last year to watch the Lakers play the Jazz, and the Lakers thumped them. And after watching them play up close, I said, look, as long as those two, meaning LeBron and AD, are playing top shelf and they can uh, supplement them with veteran pieces, no one is touching Los Angeles. And what they've been able to do this offseason has catapulted them to almost an even-money favorite in Vegas to win, win the title. And the Jazz are not even close yeah. to, the, to the Lakers. And I, I don't know that anyone is, quite frankly, but I think what the Jazz have been able to do is make themselves feel a little bit more confident about uh, the chance should they, or the opportunity should they get the chance to have that fight because Derek makes you bigger and stronger. They, they sacrificed Ricky Rubio's length and defense, Jay Crowder's uh, grit and toughness, Derek Favors' ability to guard at two positions. They they sacrificed a lot of their defensive identity in the name of skill and shooting with Conley and Bogdanovich. And I completely understand why they did, by the way, because I think that's where the league is going. Right. But what we need to see, what we need to see this year is have Dennis and Justin been able to uh, cultivate a group that is a hybrid from the team we saw last year after the Clarkson trade. Okay. So after the Clarkson trade or before the Clarkson trade, it was the worst offensive bench in the West. Right after the Clarks after the Clarkson trade for about a month and a half, it was the number one offense in the league. But defensively, they went from one or two down to eleven or twelve. So can they be the team they were after the Clarkson trade a year a year ago and make it a hybrid situation with the team they were two years ago that was the number one defense in the league when Quinn was starting Rudy and Derek together? So th- that's that's the challenge now. Now I still don't think they've made near enough progress to beat the Lakers. But outside the Lakers, the Clippers, and maybe Denver and Houston, um, and I don't love the Rockets, but I you know, completely acknowledge who James Harden is, the Jazz are right there. And I would even put them up against Houston and pick them to win that series. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting discussion, and it's a fun debate to have, but it's the ultimate reality. And, Dan, as you said, you've been watching it for 40 years now. It's just – really really difficult to win in the nba and i don't talk about it very much on the show because i think it's boring content i can't be like hey welcome in it's really hard to win right. <laughs> you know but you're like, not lying man that's a good opening they're just not lying that's all there is it's, to it it's just so hard to win a championship it just is and look if that's your only goal then everyone should be doing what sam hinkey did in philadelphia for years the problem is that's a really tough ask of your fans to yeah. come pay for tickets and watch the game. And we're not trying to win, which is why I have a lot of respect for the way the jazz approach things. The jazz are good. They try to win. It's a blessing that we have them here in this market. I'm totally grateful for the Utah that. jazz yeah. for sure. Totally. But there's a massive grand Canyon gap between trying to win, winning 50, 55 games, going to the playoffs, maybe advancing around. And that next step where you're actually throwing punches with the heavyweights, it's a massive gap, and I honestly 
hate to say it, I don't think the Jazz can close it um, anytime soon. Just back to Davis. Um, what is your speculation relative not uh, getting the pen and signing the contract at the moment? Formality. No, they'll figure that out. Yeah. Well, they, that's, uh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. They're making a big deal about that, and I'm just wondering if he's got heartburn or something of that nature. That was my. That was the basis of my question. I, I yeah, do I mean, that. I think I, uh, one of the problems with the media, and I say this as a member of the media, is our society rewards engagement. It doesn't reward truth. It doesn't reward kindness. It doesn't reward decency. It only rewards engagement. So uh, if, if you're going to write a headline and you say, Anthony Davis and the Lakers will figure it out, be patient. No one's going to click on that. Right. So instead, it's like people are saying rumors are no. No, I get he it. Is a that makes top sense. Five talent in the league, the Lakers are going to win the next probably two to three championships if they don't screw this up. They're going to figure it out. It, it might take a couple of a couple of more weeks or whatever, but they're going to figure it out. I got it. That makes sense. Back to the the Jazz, and and, and this is a very uh, out there question, Spence, but. It, I call it recency bias, and I, uh, yeah, I, I show my age, but it, it's when, when people are talking about the Jazz and, and even the NBA, it's, it, it puts it in perspective for me and it, it, how incredibly good John and Carl were and how much the modern fan doesn't realize that. For them to take the Jazz to where the Jazz got and, and throwing in Hornacek as well, I mean, it, it, it's when you're talking about that Grand Canyon, you know, and, and that exists because, you know, we talk about schemes and coaches and how elite they are, and, and that all matters. But, it, you know, ultimately the Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. And they are, you know, LeBron is debatably the best, one of the best players ever. You know, you have that debate of is he the best or isn't, and that's another conversation. But Anthony Davis is unbelievably unique for what he can do. He's a, a more athletic Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, and, and, you know, that's so incredibly difficult to even say with how unbelievable Dirk was. And so to have those two on the same team, like you talked about, putting them in a pick and roll where you have one of the best playmakers in LeBron that is Carl Malone's size, sees the floor, all of the things that he does with an unbelievable talent like AD, you that's not a gap that you close through schemes and all the other things that, that, you know, the minutiae you get into. So I'd love to just hear your opinion on recency bias. And is it even possible to give people a, a hint that never saw John and Carl play or understand how good they were, what that, that chasm is and how hard it is to, to, to close. No, no. Cause that's not how we exist. That's not how we live. It's not, you know, we, we can reminisce all we want, about the good old days, but then you blink your eyes and a generation passes where, um, you know, like for instance, my son who just had his 19th birthday, he and his friends, when I tell them, you know, that for about 20 years, BYU was far superior to Utah in football. They look at me like I'm nuts. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, BYU sucks. I'm like, well, look, you know, when I was your age, all we did was watch BYU stop Utah's head. So, right. you know, when as generations pass, um, guys like us can reminisce. But, you know, the, the generation coming up after us have no interest in going to watch a grainy YouTube video surveillance of John Stockton and Carl Malone running pick and roll. Now, I'll tell you this, when ESPN and during the four month stoppage, ESPN was running a bunch of different old games. And then uh, after they did the last dance, they actually, and I still have it on my DVR, they 
they, they re-released game six, I think of the 98 finals it was, and, and um, between the Jazz and the Bulls. And I watched it like five times because it will never cease to amaze me how dominant John was with his angular passing. And mm-hmm. the, only, the only player that I see these days doing what he did is Chris Paul with his ability to dominate with angles, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and people forget that for sure. Carl was a freak. I mean, he was a big dude who could run like a gazelle and finish with force and also had great hands defensively. You know, you remember he used to strip the ball and Absolutely. instead of going vertical and trying to block it, Carl would, would strip. Well, you know, I remember watching him play against Patrick Ewing and Ewing had this move where he would fake over his left shoulder and then turn over his right to shoot a turnaround jump shot. And Carl, like had the timing down so perfectly every time Ewing would turn left, he would just strip the ball. And oftentimes it was a steal or it would go off his knee and out of bounds yep. jazz ball. Like there, there was a brilliance to the way Carl played. And when you combine that with his size and athletic ability, and then just unbelievable work ethic with his body. I mean, Britton Johnson tells these stories of uh, when he was at the U Rick Majerus would have uh, some of his players go up and work out with Carl and, Carl would kill him, you know, I mean, yep. they're running, uh, with, with sheets, you know, tents on their back. They're throwing tires around. Like Carl was like the original CrossFit gym guy, you know? And, yeah. And, um, and again, John's, John's just utter dominance, not like really good. John, John Stockton dominated basketball games as a six, one, 180 pound white dude. Yep. And it's <laughs> unbelievable what he was able to do. So, I know it. You guys know it. Does the rest of the world know it? No. And is that going to change? No, I don't think so. No, no. And it, it, it's and going back to what you talked about, about how hard it is to win in the NBA. Those two were the OGs and it, and it was much different back then, but the OGs of drafting and, and raising your own talent. And, sure. you know, for if you look at any small market team, I mean, Milwaukee has done the same thing. That is why Milwaukee is where they are. And if if you know, Giannis want leaves and they're back to square zero. You know, I mean, they're in, in that predicament, depending upon what he decides to do, but that's, that's almost the only way a small market team can get to, you know, to start to jump the evil Knievel grand Canyon it is by getting and raising their own talent. And it's just difficult to see that, uh, that changing. I don't know how it can in the construct of the NBA. It just, it, it seems like it's, it's almost impossible. I watched. No, I mean, that's oh, good, Dan. I just excuse me, Spence. I was just going to say I watched six myself for the maybe the second time only because it broke my heart so bad to watch Pippen sure. and uh, Jordan fire up a cigar at center court. But uh, it, it it all felt the same. It just hurt like hell to watch that whole thing evolve in that last two minutes or so. It just broke my yeah, heart. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you bring it up because uh, I mean, I, I loved Last Dance, but I, I, I called my I called my father and I said, Dad, you, you've got to watch this Last Dance, this documentary on the Bulls. And he said, absolutely not. I lived it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched so, it. I can't. And I, and I, I know that that's I like, I cannot bring myself to watch it because it hurts so much. And I know that's like really petty and all that, but it's like I had to force myself. I, There's I, just no two way. I had to, I, I I got I stuck on a plane myself. watching Game Six once, and I was <laughs> so really? angry that people started looking at me. And in the, you know, this is t- a, a game that was twenty years ago, and I'm still getting mad at the game. I mean, it's just it, it, anyway. I mean, <laughs> it's well, silly. See, see, see what you guys and you're not. I, I don't disagree, but you have to understand for six years, um, 
No, no. For for seven years before the Jazz got their dose of Michael, mm-hmm. the Knicks got their dose of him every single year. Yeah. So so I watched it for seven years, and then I came out here in my freshman year at the University of Utah. I was working as a PR intern for Dave Allred uh, at the Jazz when the Bulls came out here and smashed the Jazz twice. So. I, I experienced it for almost a decade with that dude, you know, so I get it. I, I, I get it. I get it. Ultimately, I'm, I have such this, and I always have had such a, I don't know, an odd love of just the game of basketball. I just, I love it. I love the league. And so watching the last dance to me was more like a celebration of who I think was the greatest player of all time. Yeah. I don't think that's debatable, by the way. I, really I don't, don't think it is either. Totally agree. I don't think it is and the, debatable. And, and the greatest, the greatest team of all time, in my opinion, was the '96 Bulls. So watching the Last Dance, and I love the '85 Celtics. We can go on and on and on. Yep. But watching the Last Dance to me was a celebration of the team that played the game I love at the highest of levels. So I, I but I understand it's painful for sure. It is. Van Gundy, Van Gundy didn't watch it either, by the way. <laughs> That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there someday. <laughs> you know, therapy and whatnot. But going back to the NBA and the fundamental, the, the way it's built, because it is built differently than other professional leagues. Is it is is it a, an issue that the NBA actually wants to fix? Is it something that will always be that way? In your opinion, Spence, are, are small market teams only going to get to the next level if they can draft and develop their own talent? So the answer to that is yes. And, uh, you know, anecdotes can get a little silly, but let me give you one. Sure. Um, there was an eye-opener for me. I mean – um, do you know what the golden rule is? Do you, do you gentlemen know what the golden rule is? Are you talking the, the, the general golden rule of treat others as they treat you that type of golden rule? So that, so that is the golden rule. We all heard when mom and dad read us bedtime stories. And, yes. You know, if, <laughs> if, if you were raised in a Christian faith of some sort, you probably heard that golden rule. Well, when I was, uh, just out of school, I, I was negotiating a salary for my first job. And my first job out of school was with the Olympic Committee out here in 2002. And um, I got the offer and I went into my who I was reporting to. And I I said, hey, thank you for your offer. Um, You know, here here's my counter. And he looked at me and he said. We don't have to hire you. And I said, "Okay, never mind. Counter off the table. I'll take the original offer. And, And and I called my dad and I said, Dad, the weirdest thing just happened. My boss, who owns the arm of the service company I was working for with the Olympics, it's Ticket Rip. It was called CSC Event Services. Ticket Rip, security, food and bev, merch, all the stuff for the Solid Guy Center. And the guy who I was who I was negotiating with owned the arm. And so it was his company. And he made a killing and still still does. He takes his company to all these different events, whether it's the Olympics or the World Cup or whatever. He is like the dude who gets all those contracts. And um, I was I was shocked that he wouldn't even take my counter offer and just said the original offer stood because I thought like, you know, growing up in the business, you negotiate, you hear contract negotiation. That's what you do. And so I, I called my father and I said he wouldn't even hear what I had to say. And he said, son, it's time for you to learn the golden rule. And I was like, dad, I know the golden rule. Treat other people, you know, treat other treat other people the way you want to be treated. I listened in Sunday school, like all that shit. And um and he, he said, son, you have to understand the golden rule is the man with the gold makes the rules. Makes the rules. Yes. Yeah. That's the golden rule. And so, so, so Jeremy, when you ask me, does the league care to address this? 
we live in America. We are a capitalist society. As long as that money rolls in, the league doesn't want to address anything. They don't care. Yeah. And, and, and to follow up about, you know, just how little we matter in Salt Lake. And I never fully really understood this until um, this situation happened where I got arrested for DUI. Everyone knows the story. I lost my job. It was it sucked. I'm not proud of it, but it happened. I own it. I don't run from it. It is what it is. And when I was talking to other so I was talking to a radio station in Denver and then I was talking to a radio station in Atlanta and the conduit to those conversations was a radio and he still is a good friend. Uh, he's a radio consultant, a guy named Jason Barrett, um, who has started his own company and he's done a really good job with it. He was an on-air personality who felt like he hit his ceiling and the bureaucracy of the business kind of got under his skin like it does with mine oftentimes. And sure. he, he left to start his own consulting company. And so when uh, when he heard that I was not going to be back with the zone, he reached out and said, look, let's, you know, let's figure out, you know, a good landing spot for you. But he said something to me that absolutely stopped me in my tracks and hit me right in the face when we were because I, I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this almost 15 years. And, you know, when you look at the numbers and the ratings, I kind of feel like I'm one of the bigger guys here. And, you know, you could probably make an argument that I'm like the guy here or whatever. And and he he, he said, you know. Spence, that's all great. You have to understand no one thinks about Salt Lake City on a national scale. No one. So, you know, the 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 the, the conversation was um, bigger markets looking to poach personalities from smaller markets. And that happens often. But usually the smaller markets that are conduits to bigger jobs are the Portland markets. Right. Or maybe like a San Antonio. Sure. So there there are markets that are just like a couple of steps ahead of us, but aren't necessarily the New York, Boston, Chicago, Miami, LA stuff. And when he said to me, and this is probably the most influential radio consultant in the country, when he said, no one thinks about Salt Lake City, I just thought, you know, this is where this persecution complex comes from that a lot of people in this city have, mm -hmm. because it's it's real. Like people don't, sure. you know, people, people view us as, a, a, a weird culture, an odd <laughs> state, a strange city. Like, you know, th there are still people that believe Mormons practice, practice polygamy. And when we moved back east, I can't even tell you how many times I was asked how many wives my father had. I'm dead serious. Okay? I believe I mean, people, yeah. people, people still think. But, but the thing is, when you live here, that's why you call it a bubble. You have no uh, frame of reference for the way other people view us. But since I grew up somewhere else, and I have friends other places, I can tell you for sure that we are an afterthought, which is why when one of our teams <laughs> does something remarkable, we are so adamant and we yell about giving them attention, whether it's BYU football this year, Utah football in 2004, or the Jazz in 97, 98. We want to scream. We are normal. We are good. Give us the attention we need. And the rest <laughs> of the country goes, oh, that's nice. That's cute. Way to go. And they tap us on the head. And then they say, go practice your weird religion. You know, like right. that's the way we're viewed. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know. So long way to answer the question, but there it is. No, and it, it, it that's the reality of it. That is absolutely the reality of it. And no, and I, and I appreciate that explanation because it's uh, we do live in a bubble here. And I know you it, we you got to get going, Spence, and I appreciate the time. Uh, and I think it's a good a, a, a good ending real quick. Just it the recognition of the of our bubble and it, it doesn't it, it it expands way beyond other things it expands in culture it expands in uh just our lives here and it it it, it it's a it's it's a dichotomy because it makes our it makes life here really good 
It's just when, uh, you know, you get that, <laughs> the, the desire to be recognized for the whatever team you follow doing something or whatever it is that the state is trying to get recognized for. That's uh, when you see a lot of the insecurities that our, our state inherently has. Dad. Well, and I, I do want to say that I feel like we are making some progress and we are evolving. So I do too. Um, now, and, and when I say that, I really mean, I mean, Salt Lake specifically, um, Summit County as well. Like I, we don't need to do anything political, but when you look at the New York times gives you the ability to go look at counties when it comes to the way people voted. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, we don't really need to tra- traverse in the space, but I, I'll bring up one data point that I think is very telling. Salt Lake County, which is obviously where Salt Lake City is. That's where I live. I live right downtown, right in the heart of it. Um, Summit County, which is where Park City is, and Moab as well. All three counties voted blue and yeah. by a pretty wide margin. It wasn't all that close. Um, and, and, and look, like I said, I have plenty of issues with – I'll just say this. I think it's remarkable that for two election cycles, the two-party system has failed to allow us a decent candidate for president. I think that's very concerning. Yes. But the fact that we have some trends that indicate our state is becoming a little bit more progressive gives me confidence that if we just keep having conversations – about hard things, we can move in the right direction. It's the people that don't want to have the conversations or the passive aggressive attitude where they say, yeah, totally, let's do it. And then as soon as you turn around, they stab you in the back. That type of behavior needs to fall by the wayside. And I feel like one step at a time, we're actually making our way out of that space. But only time will tell. I get that. And by virtue of the way we are, is your father back home from London yet? He is not. He is not. He. Uh, they have, I think, nine months left. Eight or nine months left. Nine but, months, yeah, okay. they're 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 on the uh, on the home stretch here. But, That's cool. No, not yet. They're Please, still out there. when you talk to him, give him my love and say hi. I absolutely will. I'll I'll text him right when we get off, and I'm sure he'll uh, tell me to say the same to you. Great, great, great man, and and a great son you are too. I might add. I appreciate that, and uh, you know, I think fondly of of you and and Jeremy, you too. So we we. I will commit to blocking out of time where we can, <laughs> where we can share share the space in person. It's it, it makes for better conversation. That's certainly one thing I miss with my daily show. But uh, twenty twenty, it's it's been crazy. I'm excited to turn the page on this one. Yeah, forward. boy, are you right? I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. But I, we look forward to seeing you too, bud. Very much, and I appreciate appreciate you, Spence. Appreciate the way you handle yourself. I love seeing your tweets and and uh the the, uh, the 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 massive bait that gets out there i love it uh the way love the way you handle yourself and uh look forward to our, our next conversation wish you nothing but uh great holidays and lots of love over the season sounds good guys stay safe be well and we'll chat soon okay all right take, take care, care bud Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.